This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au God, I thank you for your provision. Thank you that you are the God who has um, made all of this possible. God, I thank you that you have um, stirred generosity in your people. God, I pray as we think about what it looks like to move forward. God, I pray that you'd help all of us to evaluate how you're calling us to step out in faith, to trust you, and to sow generously into what you are doing in this city and in our church. God, we pray that we would indeed have an abundance of provision that would allow us to do more than we've anticipated. And so God, please reveal to us the ways that you're calling us to step in, to have trust and faith, and to be radically generous and sacrificial. We ask now that you would prepare our hearts to hear you speak to us in your word. We pray, God, that you would meet us here. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would transform us and help us to see that even in the ordinary mundane moments, you are using us for your glorious purposes. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all those who agreed said, Amen. Can I quickly just um, plug the prayer meeting for you tonight? Please uh, make an effort to be there. Hopefully you've enjoyed praying for um, all of the areas of um, our lives and our world this week. It's been great to partner with Graham and Sarah Edwards in prayer across the globe and hearing what God is doing through them in Italy. So thank you for those who have partnered in that. Let's finish well tonight with this prayer meeting in the city. All of the details are on our Facebook page. You know, um, it's funny sometimes when you think about the ordinary, mundane, everyday moments of your life and the opportunities that God puts in front of you. One of the things that, um, one of my um, hobbies has been motorcycles. I've got a uh, a Harley Davidson that I like to play with. It's also my daily commute. So I've kind of combined my commute, my hobby, my stress relief and my mission all into one little thing. And I'm a part of a communal uh, motorcycle workshop called Rising Sun Workshop in Newtown. And they had a burgers and beers night the other week, and I I thought, I'm going to go to the burgers and beers night, um, and I'm going to slide in there. I I know like two or three people. I know the staff. That's about it. And a couple of other guys that I've met in the workshop. Um, And this is my opportunity just to meet people and be an ordinary person in this context. And my plan was to just be a really positive, encouraging person walking in. And so there we are. We're sitting up in the upstairs part of this room, and... Um, we've, we've all got beers, we're sitting around the table chatting and one of the guys walks in who happens to have known me and he announces, he walks in, he goes, Padre! And I was like, uh, does, does that, isn't that mean like bro or father in Spanish or something? No, he means, yeah, yeah, you're a, you're a priest. And he's like, everyone, Matt's a priest. And I'm like, oh, this is not kind of going how I thought it would go. I was planning to just like, lay low and keep this like whole job description thing under the radar because here's what happens as soon as you tell people that you're a pastor in in our city it goes one of two ways the first way is like oh that's interesting and then you know either they leave or the the topic is changed very quickly or it's like you just start getting hammered with questions and that's what happened to me that night i got hammered with um so, you know, like, aren't there two different accounts of what Judas did with the money in the Gospels? I'm like, how do these guys know this? And one guy starts quoting at me, Genesis 3.12, I give you every seed-bearing plant on earth to use. I'm like, yes, you listen to Cypress Hill, so did I. Uh, and, but then he starts quoting me all these other verses. I'm like, damn, he's listening to more than Cypress Hill. This guy's read the Bible. And, and so here I am the whole night talking about 
church and Jesus and what I do for work. And I just wasn't ready for that. It was one of those moments where I was prepared to just hang out and drink beer and eat burgers and talk about motorbikes. But God had other plans on that night. And I don't know if you've ever been there where, where you're just going about your ordinary everyday business and God interrupts that. How rude of God. He interrupts that moment and he says, I've got something extraordinary for you to, de- to, to do today. To do today. It's not that hard to say. But, um, and so what we're going to see is this moment where Peter and John, are, they're just going to church. And God has something extraordinary for them. But this um, sermon is really one sermon in three parts over the next three weeks, right? So that means you have to come back for next week and the week after to get the kind of whole story, all right? So come back, bring your GC, make sure everyone's here for the next couple of weeks. Because this really is one story. All of Acts chapter 3 and 4 is one story, so it's one sermon in three parts. And today, we're going to look at this um, story in two hubs. The first is the sign... And the second is the sermon, or the first is the wonder, and the second is the word that comes. So let's start in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. If you've got a Bible, open up there now. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't, the verses will be on the screens behind you, but we preach from the Word of God because we believe that it is living and active and God speaks. So let's go together to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And a layman from birth was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Alms is just donations, giving money. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The early church had this habit of meeting daily in the temple courts. We we heard that last week as Arnado closed out Acts chapter 2 for us. In chapter 2 verse 46, it tells us one of the things they did was met daily in the temple courts. At this point in the life of the church, there was no church service to attend. There was no gathering of God's people. They simply just rocked up to the temple. They participated in the everyday rhythms of the culture around them. The church really here, it's, it's kind of still in core team phase. Remember that time, those of you who are on the launch team back in January of 2014, hanging out in our living room, hanging out at the park. There's no, we're not really doing church. This is where they're at, except there's about 3,000 of them at this point. But they go to the temple daily to pray. They participate in the rhythms of the culture around them. And what I want you to see today is what God does in His people, empowered by the Spirit, ordinary people who are participating in the rhythms of the culture around them with gospel intentionality. I want, I want you to see what happens 
when people do that. Verse 1 there is Paul, uh, Peter and John's daily commute. It says there that they've been meeting in the temple daily. They walk in and out of this beautiful gate probably multiple times a day. There's a, a number of times that the people of God would gather for prayer, for sacrifice, for worship. And so Peter and John probably walk in and out of, uh, out of this gate a number of times. And chances are they've walked past this lame beggar a number of times, if not a number of times in that day. But why is it that this day something is different? I don't know if you've, um, you, you can identify with that process. My guess is you have. If you've ever been walking through the CBD and you have those walk-up salespeople, you know, they're standing there with their sign. Maybe it's like some not-for-profit charity asking you to donate to animals in the wilderness or rescue the pandas or maybe it's uh, you know some um, plan that you can sign up for some telecommunications thing but you see them and what do you do and they're like they say something to you like Ooh, it's a bit noisy they say something to you like um, excuse me have you got a minute and you're like sorry I'm, I'm, I'm really busy or they say something sneaky to you like nice shoes and you're like yeah uh, these are nice shoes. Thank you for noticing. And they've got you. That's a trick. They're doing that on purpose, right? Nice shoes. Thank you. We do that. Why? Because I mean, we know what that story is going to be about. We know they're going to ask us for our money. We know we don't really want to sign up. We just want to get to the office. We're running late. So we, we pretend we're busy. We take a phone call that's not really a phone call. And, and so we ignore it. We do it all the time. Peter and John have walked past this man multiple times. What is it that causes them to stop on this day, in this moment? What is different about this? Well, the difference is that God has decided that this day he's going to change this man's life forever. As the beggar asks for some dollars, Peter and John say, look at us. We've got no, we've got no money, but what we do have we're going to offer you. As that beggar asks for money that day, I can only assume that because Peter is so confident about what happens, that the Spirit of God has prompted them to stop and to do something for this man today. He's so confident. He's like, I don't have any money. I've got no silver or gold, but what I do have is healing. So in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he heals the man. Verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. Jesus puts this, this lame beggar, the same man that has been there every day, multiple times a day, he puts this guy in front of Peter and John so that they would put Jesus in front of him. And my question for us this morning, church, is who is Jesus putting in front of you that you would put Jesus in front of them? Because God wants to use you. God wants to use us. Who is he putting in front of you that you would put Jesus in front of them? If we would be sensitive to the Spirit of God in the ordinary, mundane moments of our life, if we would be looking for that one holy encounter that God wants to use us in, 
Maybe it's someone that you see every day. You walk past them. It's routine. It's mundane. It feels ordinary. But in fact, God wants to do something extraordinary in their life. Who is God putting in front of you? This guy is never the same again after this encounter. I mean, here, here is a man who is lame from birth. He has never walked, never walked. He has been dependent on his friends to carry him on his mat and put him at the temple. He has been dependent on the generosity and donations of God's people as they've come in and out of worship. And for whatever reason, for whatever condition this man has had that has prevented him from walking up until this point, it is instantly and miraculously healed. Years of, of muscular atrophy. Years of neural pathways that have never worked or of nerves that have been damaged instantly and miraculously are healed when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. It's incredible. There's no lengthy rehab, there's no physiotherapy, there's no hydrotherapy, there's no, you know, those little suction caps that the physio puts on you that vibrates and they leave red circle. Like, there's none of that. There's just Peter in faith and in the power of the name of Jesus, instantly and miraculously healing this man. You know, when I was um, studying at university, I studied a subject called biomechanics. Um, and it was way too smart for me. I didn't quite get it because it was all about physics and the body. But one of the studies we looked at, I remember, um, was a study that was happening with quadriple quadriplegics and paraplegics where scientists, medical scientists, were placing artificial electrodes into the spines of patients and then firing these signals down their neural pathways and their legs were involuntarily moving. It's incredible advances in medical technology. Now, my guess is that one day we'll get there. One day modern science, please God, will, will be so advanced that we can make paraplegics and quadriplegics walk again, that wheelchairs would be unnecessary. But we're not even there yet. And here is a man who has never walked and instantly that lifelong condition is turned on its head and completely reversed. This is nothing short of a miracle. I don't know if you notice, Luke, he, he kind of emphasizes the leaping and the walking and the walking and the leaping. He, he's trying to make a point that this is, this is phenomenal. This is ridiculous that this has happened. Here is a guy who couldn't walk and he's leaping, he's jumping. It's incredible. He is fully healed and everybody knows it. And this, get this, this is the first time he has ever set foot in the temple. Pardon the pun. This is the first time he's ever been in because if you were lamed, crippled, blind, whatever condition you had, you were considered unclean and couldn't approach the presence of God. And so not only does this man come in physically healed and restored but he comes in and he praises God there's something going on inside of him as well this is a miracle now there may be some of you here who might suggest at this point well see that's why I can't believe this book because it says impossible crazy things like that as if that could happen 
But I think you need to know something about the man who wrote this account. His name's Luke. And Luke is both a medical doctor and an historian. And as he accounts, recounts this event of what's happened in this man's life, he uses two words for feet and ankles that were commonly used in the medical profession. Luke is saying, I know what happened here. For feet and ankles to instantly become strong is a miracle. Luke's not gullible. In addition, he's also an historian. He knows that what he's writing here is going to be received and considered as historical fact. In, in fact, we're, we're told all the way back in Luke chapter 1, the first volume of this book, that he's writing to Theophilus an orderly account so he could be certain, so he can know for certain what has happened. And so as Luke writes this, he's not right, this, these are not the gullible musings of some Greek guy who just kind of wished that this all could be true. This is a man who is a medical, medically qualified doctor and historian saying, what, what I have heard, what these eyewitnesses have seen, what I am recording is history. This really happened. This is an incredible miracle. And look, if you just, if you just have a worldview that includes God in it, this is easy. Right? This is nothing. I mean, God raised Jesus from the dead. A guy who hasn't walked for a number of years, it's a cinch for God. But let me just go on a bit of a, a riff on social justice for a second here. Because what you see happening in this moment is a man who is poor and in need. And you've got to ask the question, what does this passage tell us about social justice? What does it tell us about, about um, what we ought to be doing in terms of caring for the poor? And we might think, well, you see, Peter doesn't really care about his physical need. He just cares about his spiritual need. That's what he, but here's the deal. Peter had no money. And healing is a physical need. And as we read all through Scripture, what we see is that God cares for both people's physical and spiritual needs. That it's deed and declaration together. Anyway, we don't have time. I'm going to move on. Otherwise, we're going to get bogged down in that. Peter realizes in this moment that God intends to do more than just work in this man's life. Because there is a whole crowd of people that start to gather around and, and are amazed and are wonder about this spectacle that has happened. And Peter says, you know what, it's not enough that you would just be amazed. It's not enough that you would just wonder at this. Peter says, you actually need to worship Jesus. And so he begins to preach. Have a look at what he says in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran towards them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, our God, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder, murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has made the man has made. The man, this perfect health in the presence of you all, has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What does Peter do when he has an opportunity? He 
per reaches. Turn to the person next to you and say, per reach. Come on, you need to get a bit better at that. Get a bit of Pentecostal on here. Per reach, that's what he does, all right? He gets an opportunity and he preaches. But firstly, he clears up a potential confusion that happens here, right? He's saying, look, I want you guys to know about the source of this power. Verse 12, he says, it's not us. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety you have made him walk. So it's not that Peter has received these special powers that have been given to him from Jesus that he gets to... Right, it's not that. It's not that somehow Peter and, and John um, have, have got the magic formula for healing people. It's not that they're super religious. It's not that they're so holy that God would bless their intentions, prayers, and mission. It's none of that. It's all because of Jesus. And so what Peter does is he, he immediately points people. He says, it's not me. This is Jesus who has done this. It's in the name of Jesus. It's in faith, in, the, in faith of the name of Jesus and through the faith of the name of Jesus that this man is healed, verse 16. Now, it's not that that is a magic formula, right? That you would say, Jesus. And, and you're right. So it's not magic. Or it's not that if you just add in the name of Jesus, amen, to the end of every prayer. That is the secret that will unlock your powerful prayers. Although that sounds like a good book title. We'll probably sell lots of books. But that's not what this means. When, when Peter says it is in the name of Jesus, by faith and through faith, what he's saying here is that points to the person of Jesus and all that he is. His power, his authority, his sovereignty and his rule are all captured in that phrase, in the name of Jesus. It's the same in the Old Testament, in the name of God. His glory, His majesty. It is Jesus who has done this because Jesus is powerful to change lives. Jesus is powerful to heal. Peter clears this confusion and then he does what? reaches he goes for it he really does but what does he preach the gospel that Peter preaches is this you're a sinner and God wants to forgive you you're a sinner and God wants to forgive you this is what he says he says to the crowds that have been drawn in he said you are all complicit in the death of Jesus you who stood before Pilate and requested that a murderer would be set free you who killed the author of life. Just think about that phrase. The author of life. You killed and murdered. The very people that Jesus was sent to rejected him. And Peter says you were complicit in that. Representatively, potentially you were even there. But the people of God have rejected God's Messiah. There's some harsh words. But the reality is we will never get the truth of the gospel. We will never see our need until we understand the true verdict of who we are before God. You see, our modern culture is way too optimistic about the human condition. We are sinners in desperate need of grace. We are spiritually dead. The Bible tells us we are blind. 
And what we need is not a self-help program, but we need someone to tell us the solution to that problem. And that's exactly what Peter does. He says there is hope in the gospel. There is an offer of forgiveness if you would turn from your sins. You need to know that the Christian message is not that you're basically a good person and if you come to God, he'll make your life a little bit more comfortable. That's not what Peter says. That's not the Christian message. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you are offside with a holy and perfect God. And you need to turn from your sin. You need to repent. And this is what, it's what Peter calls them to do in verse 19. Have a look. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is literally, you are running away from God. It is time to turn back and return. The picture of the younger brother in Luke 15 is he comes back home to the Father. Turn back to God, that your sins may be blotted out. This image here that Peter beautifully paints for us is one of, in the first century, ink would be written onto a, a papyrus kind of um, paper and in fact in the first century it's not like the way that we write today a ballpoint pen on paper the paper actually absorbs the ink a bit in the first century the ink actually sat on top of it and so you could get a sponge and blot it out wipe it off it's the equivalent of saying i wrote something down and i liquid papered over the top of it your sins have been liquid papered over they've been covered up you can't even see them and at times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord for a restless and weary soul that is lost and destitute and spiritually impoverished. There is times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Peter says, you're a sinner and here is the grace that is offered to you if you would but turn and come. And the picture of this lame beggar here in Acts chapter 3 is really a picture of us spiritually. That we are powerless. That we cannot help ourselves. That we're entirely dependent and the work of God in this man's life is a picture of what the gospel does in us. That God raises us up. That God gives us new life. And today that offer is for you, for every person here. That God is calling you, wooing you, beckoning you to turn back and to experience the forgiveness that Jesus has purchased for you by shedding his blood on the cross. Today, if you are far from God, come back. Experience spiritually what this man experienced physically. But you know, in um, Sydney in 2017, for the most part, our culture is apathetic towards this gospel message. Sometimes our culture is vehemently opposed to it, right? But for the most part, that's a, a small section of our culture. For the most part, there's just apathy. And so people in Sydney actually need to not just hear the message, but they need to see it. They need to see that it's credible and real. In a post-Christian culture, where most people aren't going to walk through the doors of a church and come and hear a gospel message preached. The gospel message needs to be sent and the gospel needs to be lived by God's people out there, not just in here. What people need to see are our lives 
a witness, a sign, a sign that must be radically countercultural. The theologian Karl Barth says this, the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to our world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way that is full of promise. We need to live such radically different lives that people would look at it and go, there is something to that person's life. There is something to the joy that pervades their circumstances. There is something to their radical generosity towards the gospel. There is something to this person, the way that they receive suffering and malignment at the name of Jesus that I need to know about. And then we offer them something that is full of promise. We offer them the hope of the gospel. We offer them a way of living that in fact is far better than the life that they've chosen to live outside of God's presence and plan. A world of promiscuity and money and power needs to see a people who are faithful and generous and humble and willing to serve. Our lives need to scream to our culture, Jesus is real this gospel is true it is changing and transforming lives now sometimes god will use supernatural means sometimes there will be moments where you walk in and someone gets healed or there is something miraculous that happens but he hasn't promised to do that every time but what he has promised us is that he will use us that we are the ordinary means the church, his people, of taking something that our culture sees, a sign, and then bringing the sermon. Taking a wonder that they see of a life that is counterculturally different and bringing the word. Our mission needs to have both of those things. It needs to have both deed and declaration. You know, for lack of a better word, what we've tried to do at Anchor Church is what people call friendship evangelism, right? We just call it being everyday missionaries or it's just life as a Christian, right? And I think as a church, we're pretty good at doing the deed bit. I think by and large, we're pretty good at living distinctly different lives. But I wonder how good we are at taking those opportunities and declaring I wonder how good we are at explaining the reasons for why the way we are. We need both. And that's why I was so encouraged to hear some of the stories that came out of last week as a result of our third birthday celebration. I, I, I loved hearing Ellen Tamp's testimony on the video. I mean, she went for it and it was so good. You know, just the things that she was saying, I feel empowered to tell my friends about Jesus. In our GC this week, Terry was sharing how she feels the same, that God has encouraged her to say just small things to people, trusting that he would use that. That's so encouraging. That God would be equipping and sending an army of missionaries to this city to, to both deed and declare. You see, in the end, success for us is not 
so much that people would come to faith in Jesus, right? That's, that's not your job. That's not my job. That's God's thing, right? He is the one who does the healing. He is the one who radically transforms life. Success for us is that we would live distinctly and speak the gospel. That we would live distinctly and speak. That's success. That we would speak. That words of hope and encouragement and gospel would come out of our mouths. And that our lives would back that up. Saying this is credible, this is real. God is validating this message. You can see it's transformed me. The narrative of Acts is that the power of Jesus is working through his people, the church. The power of Jesus is working through his people, the church. That is the story of Acts from beginning to end. And you're a part of it. So my question is, who is God putting in front of you this week that you would put Jesus in front of them? In the ordinary, mundane moments, who is God putting in front of you? Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you eyes to see that you would be sensitive to his promptings. Ask for boldness to take that opportunity, as small as it is. And then once you've done that, tell your GC so we can celebrate it together. But as you walk through the doors of the office on Monday morning, as you're at the park with the kids and there are other families there, as you step on a campus, as you step onto the sporting field, as you walk into your family home, who are the people in the ordinary moments of your day that Jesus is putting in front of you that you would put Jesus in front of them? Because we worship the same God as the God of Acts chapter 3. The God who wants to take those ordinary moments and do extraordinary things in the lives of people who desperately need him. And the good news is using you and me. I'm going to pray and we're going to respond in worship that the God that we worship would send his one and only son to die for us, that his blood would be shed, that his body would be broken. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together at, and I don't know how many stations there are. I think maybe there's just two down the front here, either right hand and left hand side of the stage. There is bread and grape juice, symbols of what Jesus has done in dying for us. And we invite those of you who love Jesus to come forward and Dip the bread in the grape juice and eat it, remembering what Jesus has done for you to set you free. Remembering that you were that lame, crippled beggar. And by God's grace and mercy, he has raised you up. He has given you new life. He has blotted away your sins. And you have encountered times of refreshing from the Lord. Maybe you need a reminder of that today. Maybe you just need to sit in that and enjoy that. And we're going to respond. Our prayer team are going to be up the back. They would love to pray for you. If you have anything that you need prayer for this morning, then please head to the back. Our prayer team would love to pray on your behalf and petition our great God to work. And finally, as the band comes out, we're going to worship together. We're going to sing praises to this God who is in the business of transforming lives, knowing that his goodness his kindness, his grace is something our world desperately needs to hear and he's going to use us. Let's pray, church. God, I thank you for this message this morning. I thank you for the way that you use ordinary people like us in very ordinary, routine, mundane circumstances to make Jesus known to this city and this culture. God, I pray that as we go out this week, 
as we walk into our Monday morning, that you would attune our hearts to what you are doing in this city and in our lives to make Jesus known. So God, I pray that you would strengthen us. We thank you that we get to celebrate the gospel. We thank you that we get to declare your praises. God, we pray that you would empower us and fill us with your spirit for this task. Be near to those who are needing a reminder of this truth this morning, that the gospel is for them. Pray that you would work in the hearts of many today. Maybe even some who would give their lives to Jesus for the first time. We worship you. We praise you. In the strong name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Let's stand.